0: Can turn to Ruth chapter one. That will be our text for this morning. Ruth chapter one. And um, before I get started, you, um, you know, if, if you're like me, coming to Sunday service, by the time you get here, it can you're overwhelmed sometimes already with just uh, the busyness of getting ready. And um, many times I come to church and to Sunday service, and my heart not be attentive and uh, at the ready to hear the word of God because my mind is a million or gajillion miles away from the Lord. And so, before we get started out, I want to give you guys a few seconds here to to have your hearts um, settled and focused in on the Lord. And um, because Sunday service, God speaks to his people. And it's not just a man speaking on the pulpit, but God intimately involved with the people that he affectionately loves. And so, Um, Have our hearts, you know, just just a few seconds to to pray to the Lord and, and ask him to ready your hearts to receive what he has to say to his people. Oh, God, in heaven, I just thank you and I praise you for, for this time, for this morning, Lord. I thank you, Father, that, um, that you've called me to this glorious and, and awesome ministry to, to share your word, to preach and proclaim your word, Father. Oh, God, I pray that you would move mightily by your spirit through your unworthy servant, dear God, to proclaim the truth of God, Lord. Father. Allow the hearts of your people this morning to give special attention to your word, Lord. And God, just any distractions, Father, I pray that you would just remove any obstacles right now that are in the way of your people from receiving the truth of God, from hearing Christ and savoring Christ, Lord. Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning and that your people would know that their God is not far or distant, but their God is very near them and dwelling within them as your word is preached, Father. God, move mightily, Lord, and we just thank you for being ever so gracious to us, Lord, that you pulled us into yourself, Lord, that you took us from darkness and brought us into your marvelous light, Lord. How gracious and how good you are, Lord, and Father, we just praise your name. We praise your name, oh God, for being ever so infinitely good to an undeserving people. Lord, God, we pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. One of my favorite hymns was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. And I'm pretty sure that many of you here are familiar with it. It's uh, titled, It Is Well With My Soul. And how, how can't that be a favorite hymn of mine? It's so word-saturated, Christ-centered, and God-glorifying. And um, many times, through difficult times in my lives and when I go through trials in my life, I recall the words of that hymn that bring comfort to my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. A wonderful, wonderful stanza. Beautiful and comforting to the weary and and tired and burdened soul. And what about moments in my life when I get so overwhelmed with my own sin and the guilt is just weighing down on me? Because I, I, I've, I've come to realize that I'm, I'm such a wretch and, and God is dealing with my heart. And, and sometimes I'm so filled with guilt that I, I, and my own sin that I, I feel like I can't come near to God because I've, I've fallen so short over and over. I turn again to Horatio's words where he says, My sins, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sins not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. If that's not on your top ten of music lists, it better be. It's it's beautiful. But as wonderful a piece of music it is, one thing that people don't know is the backdrop or the background behind what caused or inspired uh, Horatio to pen these words down. It didn't come without a trail of suffering that he had to go through, and two in particular. The first one was in October of 1871, where there was a fire in Chicago, and Horatio was a wealthy businessman, and because of this fire, he lost it all. He was financially ruined. And after this, this ordeal, after this trial, after this suffering, two ships would be traveling in the Atlantic. One carrying a wife and her two daughters. And by the grace of God, the, the wife, the, 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 the mother, had her life spared, but her two daughters would lose their lives. Tragically, these two daughters were the daughters of Horatio Spafford. And not too long after this accident, to about a couple weeks, Horatio would be on a ship traveling. In the Atlantic, and the ship, the captain would stop the ship at the very spot that his daughters lost their lives. And it was at that very moment that the Holy Spirit inspired Horatio to pen down the words to this piece of music. Suffering. Suffering and trials. Who is exempt from it? Nobody. Both believer and non-believer alike must tread through suffering. We live in a world that's fallen. You're going to sin against people. I'm going to sin against people. People are going to sin against us. We're going to hurt each other because we live in a fallen world. This sin-filled world, it's it's bound to happen. And for the believer, it's even promised. Christ himself says, in the world, you will have tribulation. And if you haven't already been through suffering, um, take heart. Uh, It's coming. It's coming. And I don't say that to scare you, but in view of or in light of this uh, message this morning, I pray that God would just encourage you and lift you up and prepare you to endure and suffer well as you travel through this world filled with so much trial. How many of you here are suffering already? If you're like me, sometimes I come to Sunday service and I've got a smile on my face. But hidden behind the smile are the trials and the difficulties that I've gone through just this past week. Is anybody like that here this morning? Smiling when a brother or sister asks you, how are you this morning? And you say, I'm doing good. But in all actuality, you know that the struggles and the trials of living with a family or or, or the, the ordeal that comes from work whatever it is, you know that there's something hidden behind the smile and and you are going through some sort of trial and suffering. I don't doubt that this morning. And if that is you this morning, I just pray and hope that the word of God would bear upon your souls this morning. In chapter 1 of Ruth, we're given a similar example of the same suffering that Horatio Spafford went through, the suffering of losing loved ones, the trials of losing loved ones. Let's turn to Ruth chapter 1, and I don't think it's too long that we can't read it. I'm just going to read Ruth chapter 1 this morning. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites. From Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilean died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters in law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from that place, from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with, with the dead and with me. The, the Lord grant that you may find rest So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned to the country, from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The author of Ruth tells us that the setting in which this uh, story takes place in was in the days when the judges ruled. And if you're familiar with the book of Judges, It wasn't necessarily the glory days of Israel. And I'm pretty sure that if they could have it their way, they would have it erased from the history books and uh, erased from our memories completely. It was a time when God's people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and and when they went after other gods. The author of Ruth also tells us that um, during this time, there was a famine in the land. And as stated in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 and 18, A famine was a result of uh, God cursing his people for disobedience. So if we put two and two together, God's people doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord and going after other gods, we can rightly say that the famine was a result of God cursing his people because of their disobedience. Now in response to the famine that occurs in the promised land, we're told of a family led by the man named Elimelech. And um, who decides to uproot his family from the promised land. Without any warrant to leave the promised land, they, they doubt God. They, they, they uproot from the promised land and go into the country of Moab. Elimelech along with his wife Naomi and his two sons, Malon and Chilion. And now, why they would go and enter into the, the land of Moab... I am completely baffled as to why, of all the places, that Elimelech would choose to go into the country of Moab. Because if you're familiar with the Exodus, when Israel was making its way out of Egypt, we're told that uh, Moab refused to meet Israel with bread and water. And not just that, they hired Balaam, the son of Beor, to place a curse on the people of God. Although he was unsuccessful. Now, imagine in America, our resources would become depleted and the, the land is no longer flourishing and a family here decides to, to uproot and find uh, somewhere to relocate. And of all the places that they could choose, they would choose Afghanistan. And not just Afghanistan, they would choose to go into where the Taliban kick it. And now that's a picture of what Elimelech is doing. He's going from where... God has blessed his people in the promised land into enemy territory. Now, after settling in this foreign land, tragedy follows and Elimelech dies. His wife is left with just her two sons. And without any warrant from leaving the promised land, again, this family continues on in disobedience when the two sons decide to take uh, Moabites as wives. And we're told in the word of God that it, um, and it's written in the word of God that it was, um, that they, they weren't able to enter into the assembly of the Lord. This was rebellion again against the Lord God. The name of the wives in which they took was Orpah and the other Ruth. They were in the land for another 10 years and tragedy again happens. And Naomi doesn't lose just one son, but both her sons. Left in a foreign land, suffering the loss of her two sons and her husband, what is Naomi to do? In ancient times, they lived in, especially in this time, they lived in a patriarchal society. Without the male in the household, it was very difficult for them to live because it was the male, the the family's sustenance, their life, was dependent upon the male in bringing the bread home. They were the lifeblood of the family. And so Naomi and her two daughters are left with just them and without any male to care for them. And so it's very difficult, the, 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 the position that they're in right now, and, um, and it, all the results of disobedience. And, and, um, but before we go on to judge um, Naomi and her family for the disobedience that they um, that they did and, and committed. I think uh, if, if you're anything like me, I read the Bible and I, and I read of God's people always disobeying and, and I have this tendency to, to judge people and, and, and say, man, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe Peter denied the Lord three times. He was with you. The, the, you were with Jesus Christ the whole time in his ministry and you deny him three times? You're a fool, Peter. I wouldn't have done that. Or what about David when he committed adultery And when he conspired and he murdered Uriah, man, I I can't believe you committed adultery, David. I wouldn't have done that. So unfaithful, so disobedient. And so, but then we fail to forget how unfaithful and disobedient we get. In just the span of one week, how many times have you and I been unfaithful to the Lord? In the span of one day, how many times have we disobeyed the Lord? I don't even want to count how many times I've done that because it racks up. It racks up. So before we want to get all spiritual and say, oh, you guys are just so unfaithful. These people in the Bible are so unfaithful. Let's check ourselves and remember that we ourselves are unfaithful every day of the week. Now, there may be many of you here suffering and going through difficult times right now. Some like Naomi and her daughters who've lost loved ones. And it's not easy. It's not easy to, to go through the, the difficulty of, of having to, um, to, to deal with the, the, the tragic event of losing loved ones. You go through the emotional turmoil and the waves of emotions start to collide within you because the, the, the memories of, of uh, the, the time that you've spent with your, your loved ones, your family, your friends... Um, begin to uh, bombard you. You know, um, I remember last year, I, I dropped off my grandma to the airport. She was going home to the Philippines. And on my way back, um, my mom had given me a call and informed me that uh, my Aunt Anna had passed away. And my my tita Anna and I were, uh, she was really special to me. You know, I, I, I've come from a family which primarily are unbelievers. And with my tita Anna, she was, one that I saw great fruit that the Lord was uh, doing, you know, uh, in, in her life. She came to faith while she was over here. And, um, and so we became really close. And uh, we bonded. You know, as she worked in Daly City, I'd pick her up, drop her uh, and drop her back off. And, and, and during those times that, um, that we would spend together, she would ask questions about the Lord, ask questions about the Word of God. And, and uh, it was such a joy for me to nurture her soul as she started to grow in the Lord, and so when my mom informed me that she had passed away, I just quickly wanted to hang the phone up because I, I couldn't hold the tears in. I just wanted to cry and, because I missed her, and um, the following Sunday, the, which was the next day, I was, uh, I was right there and um, worshiping. It was a sweet and sour moment. I was rejoicing and knowing that she was with the Lord but I was sorrowful because I missed her. I, uh, the, the Lord had blessed the both of us to, to, to bond and, and, and to be united in the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, it was a special relationship. Suffering, it's, it's not an easy thing. But how are you and I going to respond to the trials and the sufferings that you and I have to deal with in this life? In the story of Ruth in, in this chapter, we're primar- uh, it's focused primarily on two different women. And through the same suffering of losing loved ones, except for there's two different responses uh, in, in how, um, how we can approach suffering. We're going to begin by looking at how Naomi responded to the suffering of losing loved ones in her life. In Naomi's words, you can see it recorded how, um, how the importance uh, importance of having a male figure in, uh, in the family was uh, very vital because, again, it was a patriarchal society, and um, we see that um, that's why she's so concerned with providing her daughters with husbands. In verse 9, it reads, the Lord grant that you may find rest in the house of her husband. And in verse 11, have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Again, in verse 12, I'm too old to have a husband. You see the importance of the, the male figure. Now, in her response, um, you begin to see, first, Naomi's world-centered theology. First, she tries to convince both her daughters to go back to their people, and not just to their people, but to their gods, their false religions. She was, she was little concerned with their eternal well-being. She was more concerned with their physical well-being, and she had forgotten about their eternal state. In verse 8, Naomi urges them to return to their mother's house, thinking that they would have a better chance at survival by going back to their people and going back to their deity. And in verse 15, it says that Orpah had returned and gone back to her people and to her gods. Now, had Naomi forgotten that her God is the only way to salvation, did Naomi forget what God promised her father Abraham to bless the nations through his seed? Her doubt in God is seen through her turning them away. Second, we see her doubt in God continue by, tra- by looking to herself. She begins to look to herself, and, and she, she finds um, insecurity because she sees herself as insufficient. And, um, and so, therefore, she, she begins to doubt in God. And um, notice how she... Um, where the root of her despair lies. In um, verse 11, she asks, will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? And in verse 12, she tells them to go their way and says, I am too old to have a husband. And if I should have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, if you would just simply look at the pronouns within the text, You can see the root of her despair lies from looking to herself rather than looking to God for hope and security. That's what I call her me-centered theology. In her doubt of God, I'm reminded of Sarah, who doubted and laughed at God when God said that she would have a child at such an old age. How foolish, how foolish of us to doubt God. Deckard and I were in the office this morning, before prayer, and we were discussing how, how we serve an awesome God, and that the God that we serve breathes stars into life. And when you look up at the stars and the sun, it's burning gas, and it is God that is saying, "Burn, burn, burn, and it burns." The universe is in existence, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You and I, when we're sleeping, our hearts are beating. It's God allowing our hearts to beat. And yet we doubt God, even in the simple things in our lives. When we go through some sort of uh, trouble or trial, we begin to forget and doubt God because we look to ourselves for sufficiency, and we can't find any sufficiency. All I see is flaws in myself, and that's why I begin to uh, 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 to, to get depressed or sad and, 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 and overwhelmed because rather than looking to God, I'm looking to myself for my sufficiency and my ability to get through life. Now, as much as uh, uh, Naomi is unbelieving towards God and, and unfaithful to God, I, I see myself so shockingly in, 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 in her when we're confronted uh, with, with, with trials and turmoil, is like, the first thing that we begin to do is, um, is we begin to try to get a game plan on, on how, how to work things or piece back the, 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 the puzzle and, and everything's collapsing. And so I begin to, if you're anything like me, I be, a lot of times I forget to consult God before anything. I come up with my own game plan. You and I both know uh, uh, how tough relationships are. When when the pieces start to fall, um, I I remember a relationship that I was in. It was beginning to fall apart, and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to say this, and it's all going to work out. Prior to first consulting with God and saying, Lord, I need your help. I'm I'm, I'm going through all this turmoil right now. I'm going through this crisis right now. But prior to that, I I looked to myself, and and I I looked to my, my my. my finite sufficiency and my world just begins to collapse because rather than first turning to God, I turn to myself. Is anybody like that this morning? Are you like that? Do you turn to yourself before you turn to God? Oh, that God would give us faith to trust in him, to look to him first. How true are the words of the hymn writer where he says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. These hymn writers, how beautiful they are because they know something about the Christian experience. They know the difficulties of the Christian life. And I can relate so much with the hymn writers. Third, we see Naomi's distorted view of God. In verse 13, she says that the hand of, God, of the Lord has gone out against me. Now in view of God's providence and how he's ordering and orchestrating everything in our lives. She is. She's true. Uh, she's correct in her assessment that it is God that orders everything in our lives. Yes, including the affliction, including the trials in our lives. God is providentially ordering everything around. He's sovereign in all of lives. In all of our lives, there's not just part of our lives that he's in control of. He's in control of every aspect of our lives. And so in view of God's sovereignty and his providence, she is correct. But in view as God as hard and angry, she's got a distorted view of God. She sees God only as a judge rather than a father. She, she forgets to see that, that God is her eternal father who is lovingly disciplining her probably for the disobedience that they committed from leaving the promised land and for, for marrying Moabites into uh, marrying Moabites. Maybe that's the cause, but, but he is lovingly disciplining his people. And in view of that, um, and she, she gets a distorted view of God, in verse 21 it says, uh, no, in verse 20 she says, the Lord has dealt bitterly with her. In verse 21, I went away fool." and the lord has brought me back empty a bitter god is all that naomi sees a god that desires to just take everything because he's super angry just, just just fed up with her rather than seeing an eternal father who is eternally invested in her eternal well-being she has a distorted view of god i'm reminded of hosea 4:6 where it says my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, rather than turning to the, the true character of God and what he says of himself, she has a distorted view of who he really is. Again, I see myself in Naomi, in her wrong assessment, in her sinful assessment of God as just being hard. When I'm overwhelmed with my own sin, I for I. I when i don't turn to the Word of God and to, to what He says to be true of himself, I get so overwhelmed and, and, I, and I feel like man i've just've just I'm a screw up I, I God, how can you you know you can't love me because I've fallen short so many times. How can you possibly love such a, 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 a wretch like me? but that's because I fail to get a right view of God by not turning to His word and believing him and what he says to be true about himself. If we were to do a summary of Naomi's doubt and her unbelief and and where it comes from, it comes from her first looking to the world, second, from her looking to herself, and then third, by looking away from the Lord. If we turn now to the other character in our story, Ruth. She's quite opposite. She's the opposite of her mother-in-law. We have in Ruth just a shining example of a woman who sold out for the Lord, whose faith cannot be turned, and she's just, I'm I'm amazed. And, And how ironic that in this story, faith would be found in the least likeliest of places and in the least likeliest of persons. It's found in Ruth, the foreign woman, the Moabite woman. I'm reminded of Isaiah 65:1, where it says, I permitted myself, the Lord says, to be sought by those who did not seek, ask for me. I per- it permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation which did not call my name. How many of you here, can say, amen, amen, yes, I, I, that's so true. Whether you were born in the church or outside, no one comes out of the womb saying, I love you, God. We all come out of the womb depraved and God-hating, and not that we're as sinful as we can get, but we come out of the womb with a depraved seer, uh, spirit, fallen, not wanting, not loving God, but wanting to make a God out of ourselves and the things around us. God was the one that pursued us, and we can see that in Ruth. God pursued Ruth in the least least likeliest of places, in the least likeliest of people. It was the hound of heaven that pursued her. Because of his relentless love and his relentless grace, he pursued his people. Oh, my, how I can say amen, amen to that when I just reflect back on my own life. Prior to me coming to faith, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with the Lord. I wanted to do my own thing, live my life on my own terms. And yet God graciously called me to himself. And that's why I'm here preaching to you guys about that God. About the God that is infinitely invested in your well-being. Even in the midst of suffering. Look at the faith of Ruth. Ruth. After numerous times in attempts to try and get rid of her, Ruth is resolved to stay with Naomi. And the writer says that she clung to her. Now, the word the author uses here is quite telling because it's the same word um, that's used uh, when it speaks of how God's people, how Israel was to relate to God. The people of God were to Hold fast or cling to him. Loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and holding fast, cling, same word, to him. Deuteronomy 11.22. And again in 13.4, Deuteronomy, you shall serve him and hold fast or cling to him. Again, the same word. It's, It's so ironic that we would find faith here in God, in Ruth, rather than Naomi, who should have been the one to have faith in her God. But on the contrary, Naomi shows unbelief and displays unbelief. It just, again, goes to show that God is no respecter of persons. He shall have mercy on whom he will. Race, color, social status means absolutely nothing to God when it comes to salvation. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and I are here not because we're better than unbelievers, not because we're smarter than unbelievers, because we're more gifted than others. As, 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 as zealous as we can get, that's not what separates us from the, the unbelieving world. The only thing that separates you and I from, from the lost is the grace of God. That is the only thing that separates us from the lost. We've not done anything that's worth Merit, and for that's worth God saying, yeah, I'm pleased with that. No, it was all of grace and grace alone that you and I are here and that you and I can come and worship this God that we know, that we have come to, to know and, and who has yoked himself and bound us by the cords of his love. It's by grace, by grace and grace alone. Now, some might say, Concerning Ruth, that she was more attached to Naomi than she was with God. But if you read the text, you'll see that Ruth has her sights on God. In verse 16 and 17, Ruth's words also echo that. Did They echo that, um, the words of, of a marriage vow. Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, I will die and there be buried. But notice also... But it says, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Ultimately, through her words, Ruth is aligning herself with the people of Israel and the God of Israel. She's saying, I'm, I'm forsaking what I know. I'm leaving everything that I know, my people, and my God, and I am uh, pledging allegiance to Israel and to the God of Israel. In verse 17, Ruth even uses the covenant name of God when she makes a covenant with him. She says, may Yahweh do so to me and more also if anything but death separates me from you. How unsuspecting at the end of this chapter, uh, the the turn of events uh, play out. When the two women return to the promised land, at the beginning of the story, God's chosen people and the family of Elimelech decide to disobey God and uproot from God's promised land, and go into enemy territory, and, um, and disobey. But in Ruth, you find a faithful servant, one devoted to God, who leaves her home and everything that she's ever known to travel into a foreign country, but nonetheless trust in God. She doesn't know what lies of, ahead of her. There's darkness that lies ahead of her, but she nonetheless continues to trust in God. Now in Ruth's radical faith. I cannot but help. And see her faith. And her life. As a mere shadow of someone else. Who was devoted and faithful to God. Someone else. Who was so committed to God. Who left his throne in heaven. To come down to this sin filled place. Remained faithful to God, to his Father in heaven. He left the the confines of his throne in heaven, perfect fellowship with God the Father, and traveled to this place. And unlike Ruth, though, he was fully aware of what he had to go through. He was fully aware of the suffering that he had to tread through because he was on a mission that his Father sent him on to retrieve his lost people, those that he loved. He would go through abandonment, suffering, trials, and persecution, and die ultimately a death on the cross. Yes, Jesus Christ, Ruth's life, is but a mere shadow of the life of Christ. And, and I'm just amazed at how the scriptures display that. Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God, who left everything he knew to go through a life filled with suffering because of his love for you and for me. He would bear it all. He would go through it all. And he would remain faithful to his Father in heaven to accomplish the work that his Father sent him out to do. Now, I asked you guys this morning, is anybody here going through suffering? How are you responding to the suffering that you're engulfed in right now, the suffering and the trials that you're, you're, you're traveling through right now? It could be a financial issue right now, and you're thinking, I, I don't have enough money to take care of, uh, uh, of me and, uh, and my family. I just lost a job. I don't know what I'm going to do. The relationship that I'm in right now, it's just collapsing. Um, my, my children are just disobeying, and um, I, I just don't know what to do. And you're trying to put the pieces together. What is it that you're going through? You might be going through a medical um, dilemma right now. Your body is decaying because of the sin in our lives, and you're, 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 you're suffering through um, medical complications. Or like Ruth and Naomi, you're suffering through the loss of loved ones. How are you confronting or responding to the suffering and the afflictions that you're going through in life right now? Are you like Ruth looking to the world for sufficiency, looking to yourself and looking away from the word of God and looking away from the Lord and who he says to be? And you find yourself depressed. You find yourself saddened. You find yourself just in a world of chaos, inner turmoil, because you're looking to everywhere else outside of God for your sufficiency and for your security. Or are you like Ruth, who in the midst of the trials that she's confronted with in her life, is turning to God because she knows and believes in what he says to be true in his word. Are you, you, you can come to the word, you can come to scriptures and, and give an assent to what this says. And yet not believe it with your heart. I go through that a lot. I can pray, I can, I can read God's word. And, and I, can, I can tell myself that I believe it. But does your heart truly believe what the word of God says about God? There is a difference in knowing about God and really knowing God in a relational and intimate way. Are you believing that God says in his word that he shall never forsake you? He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe in the character of God that he is infinitely involved in your life and that even in the turmoil that you're going through, that he is with you every step of the way? And that when you're crying out to him, that he catches every one of your tears. And it's not insignificant to God, but that he sees your tears. He sees that you're suffering. Do you believe in this God, the shepherd of his people? Do you believe in this God, the father to his people? Oh, that God, again, would give us faith to believe and trust in him. And what his word says concerning him. The word of God displays God's faithfulness. And that his steadfast love endureth forever. And it will never fail. A couple weeks ago it was my birthday and my friend reminded me. What an encouragement that she reminded me. She said, God has done a lot in this past year. He's not going to fail you now. Likewise with you, Christian. Likewise with you, brothers and sisters in the Lord. God has done a lot in this past year in your life. He's not failed you then. He's not going to fail you now, and neither will he ever fail you. Because the God of the universe is yoked to you. He's bound himself to you by the cords of his love. And unlike human love, which can falter, which can fail, the love of God will never fail. The love of God will not fail you. It's never failed you, and it's never going to fail you. And so if you are going through a moment or a, a time in your life where you're suffering right now, and you're, the, the weight and the pressure of this world and the pressure of sin and trials and difficulties is weighing down on you, let it press you down. Let it bring you down, but not in such a way that you fall into despair. Let it bring you down, beloved, to your knees. Let the weight of the suffering and the trials that you're going through bring you down to your knees and lead you ultimately to the cross, where you will find Jesus Christ as sufficient. And I'm not saying that this message isn't intended to make suffering easier. This message is intended to show you and drive you to your knees and to see a sufficient Christ. And unlike certain people that say that God is out to, for your worldly comfort, no, sometimes God is not, he's not infinitely invested in that primarily. He's more concerned with your eternal well-being. And sometimes he brings affliction to us. He sends trials and difficulties in our lives to wean us from the comforts of this world and to remind us that we have a destination other than this fallen world. And so he brings us down to our knees. And we find him as sufficient even in the most difficult times of our lives. I told Dan again this morning, you know what, Dan, uh, the, the, the Christian life I find to be primarily spent one place on our knees because it shows us, God shows us that we are insufficient to save ourselves. We are insufficient to, 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 to do anything in our lives. And, and when we, we begin to think so, things begin to falter, things to begin to, to, to go in disarray. And therefore, God brings us to our knees. God's, God brings you to your knees, and God brings me to my knees, and He leads me, and He's driving us to the cross, and He's driving us to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So if you're going through suffering in your life, in, in your life right now, brothers, let that suffering drive you to your knees and lead you ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is sufficient who is sufficient for all of your needs, even in the moments of suffering, trials, and difficulties. Christ is sufficient. Amen? Amen. Father, I I thank you for this morning, Lord. Oh God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that the message that you've spoken would, that you would cause it to bear upon their hearts. And Lord, that You would meet them in their suffering, in their trials, and the difficulty in their lives, God, and that you would lead them to the sufficient Christ, to the loving Father, to the shepherd of our souls, O God. Father, how we need you, how we need you every second of our lives. Remind us of that, Lord, when we begin to turn to the world, turn to ourselves and away from you, God. Father, be gracious and merciful. We praise you and we sing unto you this morning. God, go with us, Lord, and and just remind us that you are ever with us. Thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.